Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, we begin with an announcement. Make sure you catch our February 21st episode of the show. That's Wednesday of this week coming up as we sit down one-on-one exclusively with Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. If you have a question for the PM you'd like us to consider, you're on the clock. Send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. In this episode of the show, world leaders are denouncing the suspicious passing of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, one of Vladimir Putin's loudest critics, dead at 47 while being held in an Arctic prison. What should Canadians take from this story? Why should we care? Charles Adler opens with the story of a Canadian family that moved to Russia to escape a gay dictatorship before putting this high-profile death into perspective. We then get into Pierre Poliev as a religious hustler and a proposed divorce between the Alberta and federal NDP. Let's go. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to this episode of Real Talk in uh, just 30 seconds or so. Charles Adler, as this is the first episode of the week, he joins us the first episode of every week. Sometimes we'll talk politics in our region, you know, our home province uh, of Alberta. Sometimes we'll talk about stories across the country and sometimes we'll focus on international stories. That's the case with our lead today. Uh, The death, the alleged murder of longtime Putin opponent, perhaps his most outspoken critic, Alexei Navalny. It was two days after Valentine's Day on February 16th when the prison where he had been held captive, you you may have heard about this, a prison uh, in the Arctic Circle. An announcement came there that the 47-year-old had been found dead. Now, of course, the world had watched this saga for a number of years as he had been detained, arrested many times, poisoned, allegedly. Uh, He had gone missing uh, for three months, missing from prison back in December. December, just a few months ago. So obviously the awareness was there that someone who was such a prominent critic of Vladimir Putin could ultimately meet the end that so many have before. This is present day. This is happening in front of the world's eyes. So what should be the world's response? We'll ask Charles Adler why this story matters to Canadians, or at least why it should coming right up. This episode of Real Talk is presented by Rello. The reminder to those of you tuning in right now that are dreaming about a new career, sick of what you're doing now, you love the idea of leaving cubicle life behind for good, stepping into a situation with unlimited earning potential. Have you considered a career in real estate? You can get started today by enrolling with Alberta's top real estate school. That's Rello, R-E-L-O. They'll support you every step of the way from studying for your licensing exam to getting that license and then beyond plus with rello you can study a hundred percent online which means it's bound to work with your schedule no matter what your schedule looks like right now an amazing offer for real talkers you can save 20 percent knock 20 percent right off the cost of any rello course with the code real talk that's promo code all one word real talk when you get started today at rello.ca Legendary talk radio host, Emmy Award winner Charles Adler joins us the first episode of every week. No different this week as we say hello on the heels of the Family Day 
long weekend. Nice to see you, Chuck. The, 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 the passing, I can't right now automatically call it the murder of Alexei Navalny. Of course, his body's not yet even been released. I'm not sure how many people have faith in the process, but his death, I think a lot of people feared that this was an inevitability. And there you have it, February 16th. Yeah, whether you call it a, a murder or not, I mean, uh, you know, you know, sometimes in, in, in the journalism world, you're not allowed to say that something is a murder unless someone has been convicted of murder. Uh, but whether you call it that or not, it's obvious that Putin wanted to rub this guy out. And uh, you don't uh, try to poison someone years ago. You don't send them to the Arctic Circle. You don't send them to the Gulag because uh, you wish them well. And after he dies and hundreds and hundreds of people want to lay uh, flowers uh, in the streets of uh, Moscow in a very special spot um, to honor the late uh, Alexei Navalny, the late freedom fighter, when hundreds of people want to lay flowers and they get arrested and they, they get thrown into uh, police wagons. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you don't have to be an expert on dictatorship, an expert on authoritarianism to know that this guy Navalny was a bulwark against authoritarianism, and in the end, he martyred himself. I don't know how to be an Alexei Navalny. I don't know how to have that courage. I don't know how to take those kinds of risks. Um, he could have stayed overseas, anywhere in the world. He could have stayed in the United States, Canada, Germany, you name it. Um, he was welcome everywhere where uh, freedom reigns supreme. And uh, he chose to go back to Russia because he was feeling that if he's asking Russians to get into the streets, if he's asking Russians to get active about overthrowing Vladimir Putin, it would be disingenuous and beyond that uh, dishonest and maybe uh, ethically bankrupt uh, for him uh, to not uh, live in Russia. Everyone knew that this was the least safe place for him, uh, but he did it anyway. Uh, anyone who worships freedom, I'm talking about real freedom not some you know, right-wing uh, talking point about vaccines, but uh, real political freedom, real uh, personal freedom. Uh, you know, yesterday we had we had family day where people felt free to do whatever uh, they wanted, uh, go anywhere they wanted, anywhere in Alberta, anywhere in Canada, anywhere in the world with their families. That wasn't possible for Alexei Navalny's family. That wasn't possible for many, many other families. What blows my socks off is the story, Ryan, I don't know if you saw it, a Canadian family uh, who, in the grips of homophobia in this country, um, decided to go to Russia because they were guaranteed that in Russia uh, no one would force their children to be gay, which is something they believed they're living in Western Canada. So two parents, eight kids, their entire life savings have been wiped out within weeks of this experiment. They really had no idea that uh, while Russia may be anti-gay and maybe that appeals to them, Russia is also anti-freedom and Russia is very pro-fleecing them of all their money. So while their ideas were intellectually bankrupt, now they are bankrupt. They are talking to media about their bankruptcy and because they're actually talking about what has happened to them, they're now being forcibly confined to live in Russia. They are now in the same prison, as it were, that Alexei Navalny was in. They're not up in the Arctic Circle. They're not up in the Gulag but they're in what you have to call a political gulag at this moment. This is a Canadian family. I, uh, okay. 
I mean, the, the, the beauty of a show like this, you and I can um, uh, can swerve all over wherever we want and talk about, it, uh, you know, whatever we want. And, and so I'm, I'm just like Googling this as you're talking about it. Um, this is the first I've heard of this. Uh, now, it, the, the interesting thing is that this story, Johnny, feel free to show my screen as I'm doing this Google search. Um, it it's yeah, it's not I mean, it's not even like on any legit. I'm not saying the story is not legit, but no legit uh, news outlet is uh, carrying this story or at least discussing it right now. I don't know. Maybe just because it seems so ridiculous or maybe because I was all over this, in, this on my is... podcast uh, last week. They're a real Canadian family. They speak uh, real English. Okay, uh, they I think see. of themselves as. I'm sorry. I said, "Oh, I see." Okay, real English. They Got think it. of them. Yeah. They, they, they're, 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 they're the real thing. Uh, they're from Western Canada. They're, um, you know, very, very strict evangelical Christians. Uh, they believe, like a lot of people do in this country, in the United States, elsewhere, that the education system, that our political system, is stacked against them and wants to make their kids gay. They're paranoid about it, and uh, they heard uh, from uh, you know several reliable sources that. Russia may be a lot of things, uh, but it's not pro-gay, and uh, every everyone knows that. And that that official homophobia in in Russia appealed to them. Wow! Yeah, this is the uh, the Feenstra family. Erend Feenstra is the dad. Uh, Anissa, his wife, and uh, yeah, look at this. We didn't feel safe for our children in Canada. Uh, in the future anymore a lot of as you said this is a, a quote uh, as apparently I mean he told apparently told Russian media this uh, quote there's a lot of left-wing ideology LGBTQ trans just a lot of things we don't agree with that they teach there now and we wanted to get away from that for our children uh, so they, so, it, uh, so they took their kids to Russia okay um, well, I didn't expect to talk about this, and I'm just trying to decide if I want to keep it classy or like. Yeah, I saw of, the story as well. well it and, feels uh, more like I can. I, I, Ryan, I, I could I could go to another ripple on this, and that's uh, John Stewart, who I think you think of as a credible person, and John yeah. Stewart on the the Daily Show uh, last night uh, was saying he's got a, he's back on the Daily Show once a week on on Mondays, uh, kind of like uh, being a, a, a guest on, on your show uh, first Monday. Yeah. Of every month, he's 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 the guy on the for, for, you know first Monday every every week on the um, on the uh, Daily Show. Anyway, John Stewart was talking about uh, the difference between uh, Putin and those people who are in the states, in Canada, and elsewhere who are loving Putin. And from his point of view, in the old days, the uh, Cold War was all about communism versus capitalism, and he thinks there's a new Cold War. Let's call it wokeism. He calls it wokeism versus anti-wokeism. And Putin is a hero to a lot of people who are very anti-woke. And he, he ties that to Tucker Carlson being in, in Russia last week, uh, fawning all over the fact that Russian groceries are really cheap, a lot cheaper than they are in, in the States, of course, um, omitting the fact that uh, people in, in Russia make a sliver of what people do in America. So, yes, in, in all countries, uh, in, in all countries where people make nearly no money, Groceries are cheaper than they are in countries where, where people are making middle class incomes. Yeah, I mean this, this is uh, this is just uh, for those that are watching on YouTube. We have a, a photo of this family here, the Feenstra family. I just I feel terrible for the kids. Obviously, uh, this is this is you know we talk in political terms of low information voters. 
Um, this is a guy I think that probably is making low information decisions, uh, he and his wife. But but you feel for the kids that moved to Russia, found themselves surprised in the reading I've done in the last 45 seconds that their mm-hmm. their bank accounts were frozen. That's what I was going to bring The up. Russians deemed yeah. their activities to be suspicious. Even the Russians can't figure <laughs> out what the fuck these guys are doing. Yeah, apparently they took a lot of their income and put it into a Russian bank and then it was flagged because it was so much money coming from overseas into a bank and so now they've they've got no dough yeah yeah ju- but you know justin rightfully cynical in our chat as well talking about russian propaganda but it's i mean geez i i don't even i mean this is just like kind of a wake-up call i guess you know this brings it back to the central theme that you're obviously making which is that there's a lot of people uh, around the world that don't take the threat of vladimir putin seriously and it, well, no, it, no, it didn't no, happen with his war in ukraine right it didn't happen with this Brian, I, I get I get email, I, I get all kinds of contacts from people who ordinarily, because you know in the old days I could have called them all morons and loons. That's not fair, and that's not true. Many people who are ordinarily, you know, they they they're living everywhere, including Alberta. Ordinarily, they're totally straightforward, knowledgeable, reason-based people, but they fall in love with certain ideologies. Because as I've said a, a gazillion times ideology poisons everything and so you've got people who are poisoned by this idea that putin is a good guy because putin represents uh, an ideology call it anti-woke call it anti-gay call it uh, you know white nationalism you know in 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 putin's russia leadership is almost all white it's almost all white male i don't have to go on and on we've got an intelligent audience here there there is a, a an audience that of people uh, in the Western world, which includes Canada, that thinks that's the good old days. That's that's MAGA, if you will. And so it's not surprising that many MAGA uh, people, whether you want to call them MAGA or Maple MAGA, Canadian uh, fans of MAGA, support someone like Vladimir Putin because they, they try not to look at all the other stuff. And because they end up supporting Putin, they also end up supporting Putin's propaganda. And the number one piece that we focus on in this part of the world is the propaganda that Putin didn't really invade Ukraine. He's liberating Ukraine from Nazism. Now, you're, you're talking to a child of the Cold War here. So, I mean, I, I, I lived in the country right next door to Ukraine. And when the Russian tanks came in and slaughtered many of my friends and neighbors in, in the streets of Budapest, the capital of Hungary, they didn't say that they were slaughtering Hungarians. Mm. They didn't say that they were putting down an uprising for freedom. They said they were liberating Hungary from fascists, liberating Hungary from Nazis. So that Putin's people, whether they're called Soviets, Russians, it doesn't matter. The, the Putin philosophy for years has been just tell people we're not crushing anything. We're not crushing human rights. We're not crushing people. We're liberating them from fascism, liberating them from Nazism. Uh, right on the heels of, of news of Navalny's death, uh, Tucker Carlson finds himself at the World Government Summit doing an interview. And of course, everybody wanted to know about his recent interview with Vladimir Putin and how he was processing it, you know, being at the Kremlin and and talking to this guy when, you know, this happens, this alleged murder, or let me say this high profile death, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, immediately after. And if you haven't heard it yet, uh, Tucker Carlson's response may blow your mind and it may not. Here's what he said. I'll use the devil's advocate. But advocate I, away. Yes. Okay. I'll tell you. 
you, you should challenge in, in, in the rules of an interview, and you're a master in, in, your, in your business. Uh, it's not for me to give you a lecture about that, but you should challenge some ideas. For instance, uh, you, you, you didn't talk about freedom of speech in, in Russia. You did not talk <laughs> about Navalny, about assassinations, about, about the restrictions on uh, opposition in the coming uh, elections. I didn't talk about the things that every other American media outlet talks about Why? exclusively. Yes, this because is my those question. are covered, and because I have spent my life talking to people who run countries in various countries and have mm. concluded the following, that every leader kills people including my leader. Every leader kills people. Some kill more than others. Leadership requires killing people, sorry. That's why I wouldn't want to be a leader. Um, that press restriction is universal in the United States. I know because I've lived it. I've you know, asked my former, you know, I, I've had a lot of jobs. Um, and I've done this for 34 years and I know how it works. And um, there's more censorship in Russia than there is in the United States, but there's a great deal in the United States. And so, I, you know, at a certain point, it's like people can decide whether they think you know, what, what countries they think are better, what systems they think Sir, are better. I, I, I just I, want to know what he thinks. That was yeah, the whole point. Yeah. So, like, basically everybody kills people. Leaders kill people. Yeah, tr Trump said the same thing a number of years ago when he was asked about uh, Putin. Uh, uh, he said, yeah, he kills people. Everyone, uh, we, we, we do the same thing. Uh, here's a, a simple thing that everyone can understand, especially I'm talking in Alberta right now, which is a, a province that absolutely depends on the export of energy. It's the energy capital of Canada, and Alberta exports energy to the world. Russia's number one export is not wheat. It's not natural gas. It's not oil. It's not any of the various minerals that Russia is wealthy with. Russia is a wealth. If Russia was run by a, a Canadian style, a British style, an American style government, Russia would be one of the wealthiest countries in the world per capita, okay, because they are absolutely rich in resources. But Russia's number one export isn't a resource, isn't a natural resource. It's a human resource. Tens of millions of Russians have left Russia just in the last 25 years since Putin has been running the joint. And Russia exports people every day. One of the fortunate things about this unfortunate dictatorship is they still allow people other than Navalny, but they, they, they allow many people to leave Russia. So all you have to ask yourself if you're following the, the Tucker Carlson morally neutral, everybody does it routine is, how many Russians have gone to live in the United States in the last 25 years? And how many Americans have gone to live in Russia in the last 25 years? I've said this before on this show. If you can reduce things to mathematics, if you can get to the math, you can get to the truth. But if you avoid the math, you're avoiding the truth. So no, Russia and the United States are not the same when it comes to freedom of the press and freedom of expression, freedom of speech. Russia are not the same when it comes to freedom of opportunity. Russia is not a land of opportunity except for a handful of oligarchs, a handful of billionaires. Russia is not a land of opportunity for the average Russian. America and Canada are. I get that we have problems. I get that some people want to call Trudeau a dictator and they want to call uh, Biden a dictator. I, 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 I get the politics, but I also get the mathematics of coffins, okay? Russia builds a lot of coffins, more coffins per capita than most countries in the world. Most people in Russia die before they hit the age of 60. There's a reason for that. And when it comes to exports, 
Russia exports human beings like nobody's business. We don't. America doesn't. Not like the Russians do. I can't make it any simpler. There's obviously a lot of, uh, you know, world leaders, uh, you know, I saw like in Lithuania, in other words, calling for for meaningful sanctions from the West towards Russia. And you kind of wonder ultimately how and when this ramps up and ultimately where this goes. You've got an American election uh, coming up. And I want to pick your brain on what that really. By the way, before we go any further, I wanted to note uh, that that was Egyptian journalist Imad Eldin Adib that was interviewing Tucker Carlson at the World Government Summit. I wanted to note that interview and the source of it. Uh, But we'll we'll talk here about the implications of the American election in November. It's looking like shaping up like it's going to be a rematch. Biden v. Trump and uh, a really interesting interview with Jen Psaki. Uh, Obviously, everybody Around the White House knows her uh, has done a lot of work with with Joe Biden, obviously on the on the press side of things now uh, hosting a highly rated show. She sits down with John Bolton, who's Donald Trump's former national security advisor. So consider the source. And here's what he tells her uh, over the weekend of what uh, a Trump presidency looks like, how it lands with the Kremlin. We'll get your take on this, Chuck, in just a second. You know, you start with Trump saying that Russia can do whatever they want as it relates to NATO countries. It continued with a complete standstill on aid to Ukraine, something they desperately need given the progress Russia's made even over the weekend. It ended, of course, with the death of Alexei Navalny. And you've sat in a lot of these rooms, many of them. I just wanted to ask you sort of how does Putin, how does he consume what's happening here in the United States? Trump's words or lack of words, I should say, in some cases. Well, I think he sees things moving in his direction. And uh, he, he really uh, outdid himself in terms of disinformation a couple of days ago by a reporter asked, well, what do you think of Biden versus Trump? And he said, well, Biden's predictable and so on, I- implying he was endorsing what did you Biden. make of that when you heard that? It, it's a it's a clear disinformation effort. To, so to confuse give, people to give Trump the opportunity, which he was foolish enough to take to say, well, I thought that was actually a compliment to me. I mean, uh, if uh, if if Trump is elected, uh, there'll be celebrations in the Kremlin. There's no doubt about it, because Putin thinks that he is an easy mark. <laughs> That's Trump's former national security advisor, John yeah. Bolton, Chuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> Bolton. Bolton knows Trump, but Bolton has been in the room with Trump. And he's uh, obviously Bolton not trying Trump. to get the job again. No, he's, he's, he's not trying to get a job again. He doesn't need the job. They made a lot of money on his book, makes a lot of money lecturing. He's um, uh, an arch uh, conservative. The right wing conservative has been for years. Uh, nobody doubts it. Uh, nobody is calling uh, John Bolton a, a woke guy, a, a liberal guy. He just knows Trump. I mean, one of the things that needs to be said every now and then, I guess, especially now that, uh, you know, we're in the in the presidential election year, is many conservatives don't like Donald Trump. You know, ask Karl Rove whether he likes Donald Trump. And I'm not here to blow sunshine up of Karl Rove's uh, keister. But uh, the thing is, many conservatives don't like him. Will they end up at the end of the day voting uh, for him or at least not voting for the Democrats? Yeah, but uh, but to, 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 to basically suggest that all conservatives are with Donald Trump or all Republicans are with Donald Trump. That's simply not true. And yes, every day that Donald Trump does well is a good day for Vladimir Putin. Yeah, it's just like at the end of the day, though, for you to say like, yeah, there's lots of conservatives and you're not wrong. You're 100 percent correct. Uh, there's a lot of conservatives, you know, a lot of Republicans, essentially, that, that don't like Trump. But, but like at the end of the day, they'll vote for him. It's like then none of this really even matters. It's like none of the criticism even matters uh, if they're trying to sway the nomination, maybe. But like it's it's 
not happening. I'm, I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm being a realist. Uh, so you already know the course is plotted. Yeah, yeah, the uh, course is is plotted. I mean, uh, you know, as I've said, you know, about uh, about ridings in, in, in Canada, you know, we, we, we talk about 300 plus ridings in a national election. But the truth is the conservatives know this, the liberals know this, the NDP knows this, and most members of the media know there are about 30 to 40, if you really want to stretch it, battlegrounds in Canada. Most people, we, we know how they're going to vote. You can look at, once again, Alberta. I mean, you can go down the line. How many, how many seats in Alberta, federal seats, are really up for grabs? Like you know, 90% of them. Okay, there you go. So, but, and it's the same in the states. How many states are really up for grabs? How many districts are really up for grabs? And the reason that happens is because most people who have voted conservative or Republican for their entire lives will continue to vote that way, no matter who is at the top of the ticket. It doesn't matter whether the guy's name is Donald Trump or Donald Toaster. And by the way, you know, you look at the polls today, and I realize that some people think that there's a poly of mania. There is no poly of mania. There is a mood for change. And it wouldn't matter. I mean, Aaron O'Toole uh, could be at the, the top for the conservatives right now and get pretty much the same polls. It could uh, be Aaron O'Toole. I disagree. Well, uh, go ahead. Disagree. Yeah, I disagree. Uh, there, there, there is Take something. Point. I, well, I don't want to. I, I, uh, I, I hesitate to invoke Polyev mania. Um, you know, in the context of Beatle mania. Though to be fair, Trudeau got the tag. The Canadian media talked about there Trudeau was, mania was Trudeau in the seventies and and again in you know, yeah. sure yeah. in the early twenty tens into twenty fifteen. But I just think that Polyev has a certain charisma and he has a strategy and and a game plan that's landing much differently. Uh, than Andrew Shear had, than Aaron O'Toole had, and it's just obvious. It's obvious in membership sales. It's obvious in fundraising. It's obvious in the media production that his own team is putting out. It's it's obvious in his snarkiness. Like Andrew Shear kind of tried to be snarky, but couldn't pull it off because he has those cherub cheeks, and nobody could quite take him seriously. You know, he he was the guy that like he would have a biting line, but you'd be like someone yeah. someone scripted it in a back room, and it didn't ever land. Kind of how it was supposed to. And right. then everybody knew that Aaron O'Toole was a reasonable and nice guy. And Aaron O'Toole's pretty well respected, uh, I think, across the political spectrum for the most part, uh, at least based on what I can tell. But then Polyev comes in and, and respectfully, like he's not afraid to be an asshole and he's not afraid right. to throw bombs and punch <laughs> Trudeau in the nose and it's working. And so and I, I, I get it. But do you, do you think, I mean, in general, you look at Canadian history. And when someone has been in power for a decade, they're generally thrown out on their on their asses. Yeah. That's generally what happens, no matter what people you know feel about a particular prime minister. Just the way you know Canadians uh, play the game. You know, the, they, you know, we we play three periods. We don't play four periods. You know, we play maybe a little bit of overtime, but we're basically a, a three period country. And uh, Trudeau's had his three periods. Now he may or may not win again. Obviously, it's mathematically possible. But if it doesn't happen, it'll be said again that a, a political party did about a decade in power and then Canadians wanted to change. Uh, on the margins, is Polyev worth a few more seats than, than Erno O'Toole? I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to hand you that. But if you're telling me that Polyev is the reason that there is a mood for change in the country, that I would have to dispute. Yeah, no, and, and, I, and I don't think that, that Pierre Polyev is 
helping people or bringing people to understand that they're having a hard time making their mortgage payments or buying groceries or covering their utilities bills that have doubled. But I think that, that, you know, and it's not necessarily an insult, <laughs> relatively speaking, to call a politician opportunistic. We call it populism, and, but, but politicians yeah. understand how to, how to identify and then grab hold of public sentiment and then manipulate and maximize public sentiment and turn it into votes and ultimately turn it into government status and then job security. And so that's what I think Pierre Polyev's going to do, or at least he's trying to do, long time, relatively speaking, between now and the next election. But the polls are indicating... The polls are 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 uh, are forecasting a bloodbath. Like they're forecasting, the liberals are going to lose like well over a hundred seats, which would be yeah. wild to watch. Right, and it, and that may or may not happen because uh, polls this far out, uh, yeah, uh, are generally not very accurate. Uh, however, uh, I think if the rules were reversed, if Polyev was in power for the last ten years, then any liberal coming along, no matter what their name no matter what people may think of them, any liberal coming along would run a similar campaign. It might not be uh, exactly the same in terms of how it looks on video, might not be the same on social media. The guy, woman, man, whatever, would, might not try to be an asshole, as you say. However, they'd be running the same campaign. They'd say, uh, Canada is less affordable than it should be. It's less affordable than it used to be. How do you feel about that, uh, Mr. Mrs. Ms. Uh, Canadian, you know, are you better off today than you were 10 years ago? No. Well, then, you know, it's time for change. I mean, that's I, I don't I don't mean to be simplistic about it, but that stuff works. And the idea that the average Canadian is paying attention to all of the polyab videos, I don't think so. I think the average Canadian is paying attention to the price of groceries and the price of rent and the price of mortgages. And, and, and that's what's working on, on the margins. I agree with you. Polyev's able to raise more money, more awareness, uh, you know, control the conversation, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that may be worth an extra 20 seats to the Conservatives, but I don't think it's the, the difference between uh, staying in opposition or, or moving into government. Well, yeah, there's an, there's an interesting Globe and Mail piece. I want to talk to you about this uh, when we come back. We're going to uh, press pause for a quick second so you can top up your coffee or your chocolate milk or whatever you're crushing today, Chuck. Uh, a Globe piece that, that sort of takes aim at, at Trudeau and his his style of governance or the tone that he's set, in particular, his invoking the word unacceptable again and again and again. I had a buddy pull me aside. We were down in Calgary on the road over the weekend for the family day weekend. A guy pulls me aside, moderately aware politically, very savvy as an entrepreneur and a business person. And he said, I just think, and he's probably not wrong. Uh, he said in, in times like this, when when times are tight for everybody and, and everybody's sort of trying to stretch their dollars as much as they can, they don't care so much about the politicians commitment to the so-called social stuff and I thought oh this is something I'll put in front of Adler because if you look at what Trudeau's tried to do over the course of his you know years in government coming to nine years or so right now a lot of it has been the quote-unquote social stuff and virtually very little uh, virtually none of Polyev's stuff is the quote-unquote social stuff right it's more the bottom line stuff and you wonder politically um, obviously, it's a strategy. You wonder what's going to land most loudly with Canadians. We'll get to that with Charles Adler coming up in just a bit. Plus, I'm curious to pick his brain on what he thinks about a proposal that the Alberta NDP divorce from its 
federal party. And you know, I think we'll have a big announcement that we'll share, John, when we come back from this break as well. I'd like to put that in front of Charles. Yeah. Maybe he can help us do our homework. we got a big, big show coming up this week. And so we're going to make an announcement on the other side of this break. Uh, in just a second, you've probably been paying attention. Have you seen this news about strike action in Edmonton? This is uh, CSU 52. Uh, the union is urging Edmontonians to reach out to your council, your mayor, to implore them to head back to the bargaining table and avoid a work stoppage. If there is a work stoppage, if this thing goes down, who are we talking about? 911 operators, uh, 311 operators, people that work in permits, staff at rec centers, staff at libraries, inspectors for buildings and businesses, animal control, uh, payroll and procurement, bill payments to vendors would halt, IT. The city would have some real problems there, so they're not messing around. If you'd like to show your support or learn more, you can check out edmontonforeveryone.ca. This message is presented by Civic Service Union, CSU 52. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to remind you that they've got specials going on all through the month of February to show their support for Heart Month. Friesen Brothers is proud to partner with the University Hospital Foundation fundraising for the Mazinkowski Alberta Heart Institute. We call it the Maz. Uh, Friesen Brothers very pleased to provide all their communities with chances to pursue healthy eating habits, a wide range of heart healthy choices through the store, fruits and veg, lean meats, fresh fish, nutritious grains, and of course the meals prepared by their Red Seal chefs as well you you can check it all out in their flyer look for the heart month icon through the february flyer at freezen.com slash heart month if you're thinking of getting shovels in the ground having your yard transformed this spring so it's ready to entertain this summer maybe it's a big anniversary graduation party maybe you've got somebody's big birthday coming up and you'd love that outdoor kitchen ready to go maybe a water feature a beautiful pergola with some custom stonework hey you don't want to leave this job to just anybody go with someone you can trust we recommend Eden Landscaping you know there's an advantage to planning during the off season and it's more than just being shoveled ready for spring you ensure your spot early to make sure there's a timely and efficient transition of your landscape plus if the supply chain factors in you're going to make sure you have their materials there when you're ready to start the job you can find eden landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca Interesting uh, tweet from uh, Charles Adler over the weekend, our guest joining us the first episode of every week. He says, so when I hear Pierre Poliev go on about Canadians who can't afford to feed and house themselves, you say it reminds me of every religious hustler I've ever met enriching themselves by claiming they care deeply about the poor, just like the slumlords they cared most about exploiting them. Pretty strong words. You're suggesting that the leader of the opposition, the man that would be prime minister, doesn't give a rip about the millions of Canadians he's trying to reach. Before we do anything else, I just want you to know that although the Conservatives think of me as a flaming socialist and all that, I support uh, Canadians' uh, dairy industry, okay? There you go. And uh, you got to tell second, people on the podcast, you're crushing chocolate milk right out of the one liter carton. It's kind of becoming your thing on Real Talk. It is my real thing on Real Talk, uh, and it's always uh, happening in the second half of our, of our game. I... Uh, Pick up the chocolate milk and, and take off the glasses. This has become a, a bit of a, a tradition. You know what All I'm right, thinking? Uh, Hang on a second, because you know the Jespersons yeah. have very, very deep 
roots in dairy. Um, yes. We've been dairy farming in. We're part of the dairy cartel. Uh, I don't benefit or profit <laughs> from this, but my cousins sure do. And uh, anytime that supply management comes up on the show, you know, I'm know. about. I'm going to get some texts from my cousins for sure. I'm thinking we get Charles Adler's weekly segment sponsored by by either Alberta Milk or maybe the Canadian Milk Lobby. And and in the face of all of this. You know, the, the, the oat milk and the, the, the almond milk. And what are all the other yeah. milks, Johnny? There's like all these different kinds oh, of milks. Oh, you got coconut. Coconut you've got milk. everything you got all now. kinds yeah. of milks. Oat? It, could be, it could be real talk, real milk. And real. we could just get you to crush <laughs> crush cow's milk through every interview. Yeah. I like that my idea. Vegan, my vegan friends will, uh, will shun me. But hey, listen, I've, I've lost a lot of business with They'll a lot of understand. people over years who feel that if you're not a hundred percent with them, and this is this is what I love about Canada. In my Canada, you don't have to be a hundred percent for anything. Mm -mm. You can, you know, life is a smorg. In sure. a free country, you should be free if you want. You want to drink uh, real milk? Fine. You want to drink some real milk and 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 oat milk or oat beverage or whatever. Whatever, whatever it's called. We have that, both in fine. our fridge. We have both. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. sometimes we have three different types, John. Are you an oat milk guy, an almond milk guy, uh, and, and any milk guy? We're doing the oat a lot right now oat because milk, the yeah. oat, like a lot of these milks, uh, you know, they they seem a little healthier, but they've they've still got a lot of ingredients, a lot of stuff they add to it. But uh, oat milk is the one we're we're doing one right now. I think it's got four ingredients only. Oh, so yeah. yeah, we're trying to keep it like that. There you go. There you go, Chuck. So All the right. polio. So, the, so, so your your take on polio? You're you're essentially yeah. blasting it out there to your seventy five thousand followers that you don't think he cares about them at all. Well, I just, I, I, my, my problem is age. You know, I've, I've, I've seen all these things over, over the years, and obviously, uh, the Conservative Party was my, my home. But, but beyond that, you know, hosting all the shows that I did, you know, generally had an NDP at the table and a Conservative and a Liberal, and it was very rare that the Conservative uh, at the table didn't see the NDP or the Liberal talking about poverty as. As, as a socialist hustler, you know, as, as a left winger, as an arch left winger. I mean, it was very rare that the conservative would see. And so I, I find it really hard to believe that uh, Polyev gets uh, just the real Pierre Polyev, forget the, the, the politician, that the real Polyev gets out of bed every morning wondering what he can do to help people who end up at food banks. It's just uh, it's it's strange credulity to be uh, polite about it. I just don't believe that's really where his. Uh, his heart is, and if people if people want to believe that uh, Pierre Polyev is out to to wipe out poverty, that that that's really one of his uh, missions in life. Uh, there, it's fine. Once again, it's a free country. You can believe that. But based on my experience of the Pierre Polyevs of this world and the people who are with Pierre Polyev, the team, as it were, I know the team. No, no, I, I don't. I don't think poverty uh, is their thing. And when I do hear them go on and on about the food banks, I mean, it does remind me of. All of the religious hustlers who, yes, also wanted to do business with me, especially in the United States, who always led with this idea of what they were really about was helping the poor. They, they weren't about raising multi-millions of dollars for their huge churches and uh, the, the, the ministry uh, doing radio, television, websites, you name it. They really weren't into enriching themselves. They were into feeding the hungry. Um. Andrew Coyne had something on this. I'll show you in just a second. But just on the milk front, uh, Kimberly has corrected us in the live chat. Obviously, she gets okay. two points today. Uh, she says, what about the OG, uh, the OG, like the original soy milk? Obviously, sorry, uh, forgot soy milk there. And Tony quite rightfully says, if it doesn't have nipples, it ain't milk. Oh, so God. fair enough. <laughs> I don't know if there's nipples on 
uh, coconuts. I, I don't think so. I think milk that milk just, is just a word for it. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Andrew Coin, <laughs> you're like, can we just can't move right on. Yeah, you know, we t- touch, just land on the nipples for a second and then touch on, and we're going to leave it there. Uh, Pierre Polyev uh, on February 18th tweets, Trudeau's radical environment minister's decision. You look at Steve, Stephen Gilbo, the environment minister, arguably more of a target of Tucker Carlson's during his Alberta stops, during his speech in Alberta. He, he, he talked more about Gibo and Freeland, I think, combined than he did about Trudeau. Uh, but Polyev tweets that the radical environment minister's decision to end road building uh, is part of a plan to deindustrialize and make us reliant on foreign dictatorships to sell us the things our government bans us from making it home. It prompts Andrew Coyne. I think it's fair to call Coyne a conservative, Charles, uh, yes. who, who tweets, attention rubes, he says, used conspiracy theories on sale now. All makes, all models just send money. So uh, I guess Polyev's lost Andrew Coyne. Well, I was, I was on a show last week, and I was asked about uh, Gibault, and I said that uh, Stephen Gibault is uh, Santa Claus. For Pierre Polyev every day, even if uh, Polyev uh, didn't have uh, any brains or didn't have any personality, all he'd have to do is quote uh, Guibault every week because Guibault is a great gift uh, to the conservatives. Guibault is a, uh, I guess, a for- former Greenpeace activist, and I guess he's ex- excellent at activism. He's terrible at retail politics. He's terrible at being a minister. And when he throws stuff out about uh, the government will not build roads, well, we know that's full of crap, uh, no matter who's in power. Uh, you know, liberals or conservatives federally, and federally that's the way it works, only liberals or, or conservatives, with all due respect to my, my friends in the NDP, the NDP has never formed a, a government in Ottawa. And so it doesn't matter. I mean, if, can you find me a politician that doesn't love to build roads and, and, and cut, the, cut the ribbons on roads? I mean, it's, it's a vote-getter every single time. Uh, but anyway, Gibo mentioned this, and I just uh, felt that, uh, you know, all this stuff about, well, he's cleaning it up, he's cleaning it up. Well, I'm sorry. There aren't enough Zambonis in the country to clean up after Gibo. Nice. And I, I don't, I don't know why he still has a job as a cabinet minister, because there is not a single liberal I know. I know liberals. I know conservatives. I know NDPers. There's not a single liberal I know that thinks the government should commit itself to not building any more roads. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you, I, I guess probably his his CV is what got him the job as environment minister. And I think he's perceived internationally as somebody who takes it very seriously. But but at home and but again, listen, what's my frame of reference? Like I mentioned, I was down in Calgary yesterday, caught up with some dear friends, you know, saw yes. my my buddy's dad who I haven't seen in several years, love this guy. This guy's known me since I was a little gaffer. And and and, and so we sit down and, and we're having a quick drink after some skating on the ODR and talk goes to Stephen Guibault in the first 45 seconds. Uh, but this is Alberta. You know, I'm down in Calgary. I'm the, the Stephen Guibault's never the okay. sort of one favor in Calgary. I don't know how they perceive Stephen Guibault on, uh, you know, on I'm, Vancouver I, Island. I'm, I'm from Quebec. Okay, I'm from Quebec. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start speaking French on on an English speaking show, okay? But if I were speaking in French in Quebec, please do. I would be. I would be ten times more rancid, okay? Ten times more in your grill than just saying there aren't enough zambonis in Canada. Or if I were in Quebec, there aren't enough zambonis in in, in Quebec to clean up after Guibault, okay? I would be. I'd, I'd remove his teeth on 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 French radio, where you're allowed to be a lot more acerbic than you are in English speaking radio. If you think that Quebecers don't like the idea of building roads, if you think Quebecers don't like like to drive cars and trucks 
I mean, I'm sorry, I can say a lot of things about Quebec, but please, please don't don't sell me the moonshine that uh, every Quebecer is green and every Quebecer is is in love with with Stephen Guibault's ideology. Not true. Mm. Um, so we have a big announcement to make, Chuck, and uh, you can put Charles on screen. I always like to see the uh, reactions to this. So, so I want I want to give you an assignment here on the fly uh, okay. tomorrow, uh, which is uh, obviously for those that we never know when folks are listening. This will be Wednesday, February twenty first, twenty first, the twenty first of February. Real talk will go one on one with the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, with Justin Trudeau. That's tomorrow. Uh, now he's going to be making a, a big announcement, uh, and we're going to be talking about that announcement. We're going to have a limited time with them. I'm going to get in as many questions as I can. If you were sitting down with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau tomorrow, uh, what is one question that you would be absolutely certain to ask him? What is the one thing that Charles Adler cares more about getting an answer to from the PM than anything else? My, my one question would be, I, I know that you treasure uh, Canadian democracy. Uh, what is it about saving Canadian democracy that Justin Trudeau can do next year that no other liberal could do as well. There you go. I'm going to fit that in, obviously, because the the leadership question is a big one. We're obviously going to ask about the carbon tax. We're obviously going to ask about a couple of other things. Uh, Real talkers, we'll put it out to you as well. Uh, We always invite your feedback to talk at ryanjesperson.com. That's the easiest way to get our attention and to make sure that your message lands in our inbox where one member of our team is guaranteed to see it. Again, that's talk at ryanjesperson.com. And don't miss Justin Trudeau Wednesday. uh, That's February 21st right here only on Real Talk. Uh, Racky Pancholi, one of three candidates to throw her hat in the ring for leadership of the Alberta NDP. We expect that there will probably be more, but to this point, there's three. There's her, Kathleen Ganley, and then, of course, Sarah Hoffman. All three have spoken with us on Real Talk. Racky Pancholi probably making the biggest waves thus far, Chuck, I would say. She was the first to suggest that the carbon tax has lost public confidence. Alberta needs to move on, she thinks, from a consumer carbon tax. And then then, uh, by way of a news release late last week, she suggests that the Alberta NDP, my words, not hers, should consider divorcing the federal party. Uh, she quite rightfully uh, suggests that this has been a barrier to entry for a lot of people that in Alberta may support the NDP, but can't bring themselves to do it federally. I think it's a really smart move. I think that it's going to rattle a few cages. I think that the support she may lose is the support she probably doesn't have, which is the old guard establishment support that will likely support the other two candidates. You think it's a smart move? I think it's beyond smart. I think it's a brilliant move. I have uh, said that her her staff is brilliant and she is a brilliant to have that staff that put together the uh, launch video. I thought it was uh, tremendous. Uh, it wasn't left-wing, it wasn't right-wing, it was Alberta, a love of Alberta, but beyond just a love of Alberta, a love of the opportunities that are created and can be created in Alberta with her fulsome enthusiasm. I thought that that video was, was incredibly inspiring. I've watched it several times. And I think this is also inspiring, this business of uh, separating the Alberta NDP from the federal NDP, uh, this idea that if you uh, want to uh, fight the UCP, uh, provincially, then you have to be not just provincial NDP, but you have to be federal NDP. Makes absolutely no sense to me. It makes a lot of sense if you're Pancholi to let people know that you want to govern someday from the center. 
because that's the that's the hardest mountain for the NDP to climb. They are perceived as out there on the left, and they are to the left of where more pe- most people are comfortable, and not just in in, in rural Alberta. We know that rural Al- Alberta is a a conservative monopoly, but you still have to do well in medium-sized towns, and you obviously still have to do well in in great big chunks of Calgary. So moving to the center is the smart move uh, for anybody who wants to govern in Alberta, for anyone who's serious about government, not just having a cause, all right? And if Pancholi is serious about becoming a premier in Alberta, I think this uh, sets her up for getting her message beyond uh, the usual NDP territories. Now, uh, I have no idea what the overall membership is like in the NDP. I have no idea how sacred this is to be a member of both the Alberta NDP and the federal NDP. I'm just not NDP enough to understand that. You know, I'm someone who who favors the center and I favor parties that are moving to the center. My gut tells me that Pancholi is serious about moving to the center because my gut tells me that Pancholi doesn't just want to be the leader of a cause. I think she wants to be the next premier of Alberta. Yeah, I agree. And uh, uh, I mean, it's it's there's obviously lots of, uh, of race to go and, and we'll see how the dynamic changes. And obviously lots will happen between now and the middle to the end of June. Uh, but, but you look at any I mean, we were just talking about Pierre Polyev 10 minutes ago. And what was the one thing that I noted when I when I take a look at the impact that he's having? It's like membership sales, fundraising. And so if Pancholi can do that, like the, the whole, you know, you're not NDP enough thing that that to me that that's you're her target audience right uh you know what leader is gonna what leader is gonna roll in and not put their own stamp on a party right that's the whole point you know people perceive me to be this enemy of the ucp uh if the ucp had a more mainstream uh, leader in the last goal i don't think you would have seen me as an enemy of the ucp i just i just don't want to i don't want to vote for david parker and i don't want to vote for david parker uh surrogate i don't want to vote for you know the tony bennett version of David Parker, but the idea that I'm an an NDPer is ridiculous. However, if 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 it's David Parker versus a centrist NDPer, I guess I'm comfortable. You know, as much as it 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 it, it feels weird for me to say this in that in that scenario, I'd be comfortable voting for the uh, for the NDP. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dwayne on here says the NDP is the closest thing to Peter Lahid's Alberta PCs. Uh, what all in caps? I guess when I when I quote what in our live chat, it should be what because it's all caps. Uh, says provincial and federal NDP are very different. I mean, tell that to the critics. You also have to recognize, Chuck. Like there's there's certain non-members you're trying to reach in a leadership race, and then there's some that are just. I mean, you'd never call them lost causes, but they're not your target audience, right? Like like you know, sort of the the flat earth, anti-mask, hardcore, ardent. You know, take back Alberta crew. The Rocky Pancholi is not going to. You know, nor Sarah Hoffman nor no. Kathleen Ganley trying no. to reach them. No. They're trying to reach no. the people that, that remember Peter Lougheed or the people that understand yeah. that Alberta's population is growing and is diverse and, and, and that the political parties need to grow with them and, and better reflect the population. That's your target. Well, in the days, you know, when I, I spoke language that today, you know, just uh, dates me. So it's it's useless for a lot of people under 45. But, you know, I used to call myself a, a Peter Lougheed and Bill Davis conservative. These, these people were both people of the center. They were both very articulate, and neither of them, and I'll I'll repeat this again and again and again, neither of them saw compromise as the enemy. Neither of them saw politics as zero-sum, where you've got to smite 
uh, your opponents, treat them like they're the enemy. They're not real Canadians or they're not real Albertans. Peter Lougheed and Bill Davis had huge favorables because they never played that game. So, no, I, I, I definitely see myself as a, a Peter Lougheed uh, PCer. And if, if the NDP can be closer to, uh, you know, to the Lougheed model than the UCP, then I'm, I'm all for them. Charles Adler joins us the first episode of every week this week. That's a Tuesday. We'll see you again on Monday, pal. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. You can follow Chuck online. Of course, you find him on Twitter at Charles Adler. I saw some some folks wondering uh, in the chat, is this Trudeau's debut on Real Talk? It is indeed not. not. Uh, Back on April 20th, uh, 420 of 2021, (laughs) the prime minister uh, made his Real Talk debut. That was my third interview with him. This will be uh, coming up my fourth. Um, I've asked him about cannabis in the past, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2015, shortly after he was elected, uh, I I said, you know, you've indicated a plan uh, to legalize cannabis. If and when you legalize it, will you smoke it? Mm. Um, And he gave me his answer there, which was to deflect. (laughs) He he deflected. He basically gave the, I have some friends that smoke, but it's not my thing answer. Uh, And then when we interviewed him on on uh, april 20th of 2021 and you can find that in our archives of course um what made that interview by the way especially notable is the verdict had just come down uh the cop uh yeah. that was convicted of killing george floyd uh the verdict had come down 10 minutes before our interview so we had an exclusive with the prime minister on that but i asked him about 420 i said you're the prime minister that legalized cannabis what you know what is 420 you know sort of what's the context of it now how would you analyze or evaluate the success or failure of legalization in canada and, and you can check out our archives if you want to see how he answers that one uh, kind of a funny moment actually so again that's february uh, 21st that's wednesday the prime minister will join us exclusively here on real talk i did see some people in the chat one uh, you know, what about Pierre Polyev? Would Pierre Polyev be welcome on the show? Are you kidding me? We've invited Pierre Polyev on the show multiple times. The door is wide open. Uh, we would basically cancel any interview except for the prime minister uh, <laughs> to accommodate Pierre Polyev. And so uh, obviously his team is aware of that. And, and, and we expect, we hope. Uh, to speak with the leader of the official opposition. Of course, the door is open. We welcome those conversations anytime, anytime. Uh, These conversations don't happen without the support of incredible Real Talk partners like our friends at California Closets. You know, we're into February now. We're almost into March. Don't look now, but like spring is knocking. And so there's two things happening. Number one, you got to make good on your plan to declutter this year. Number two, spring cleaning is coming around. Maybe this is the year that you get serious about decluttering and giving yourself back your own space. Now, whether that means maybe a Murphy bed into the home office to turn it into a guest room and make it more of a functional space, getting all your chargers organized, the junk drawers finally sorted out. Maybe you could use an entertainment center that wows your guests and keeps everything where it should be. Nobody's got better ideas than the design experts at California Closets. You can start that free consultation today at californiaclosets.ca. Our friends at Apex Automation are putting out the word to the talented engineers across the country right now that are looking for a change of pace, maybe looking for a change of scenery. You've got the skill set, but you're just not feeling motivated. You're not feeling like you're reaching your true potential. Apex Automation is hiring electrical engineers, instrumentation engineers, computer science process and mechanical engineers, as well as electricians and instrument technicians. You could be working in BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan. Heck, you could be working in Texas if that's what would inspire you to reach new heights 
They're all about teamwork. You can read more about their corporate culture and what sets apart Apex Automation by visiting the careers link today at apexautomation.ca. At Complete Care Restoration, they want your mind to be at peace no matter what situation you're in. Now, obviously, everybody's hoping that disaster does not strike, but if it does, if wildfire impacts your community, if you experience a burst pipe or maybe a backed up sewage, it happens. If you find mold or asbestos, leave it to the talented and certified professionals at Complete Care Restoration. They've been restoring property and rebuilding peace of mind for 25 years, and we recommend them with two thumbs up. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. And before we get to a positive reflection, this is an amazing story and absolutely it's unbelievable. I wanted to remind those of you that are thinking about going back to school that you can take all those objections that you have. You're understanding right now that you don't have maybe the time to commit to a regular class itinerary, or maybe it's the commute to a brick and mortar university that's standing in your way. Athabasca University is Canada's open university, and you won't find a better fit if you need to find a solution to some of those barriers that we mentioned. Heck, we haven't even talked about tuition prices. You know they've got amazing student supports available. Athabasca University is the post-secondary solution for tens of thousands of learners across the country, from maybe small micro courses all the way through to MBAs to doctoral PhD programs. Athabasca University is a fit for so many folks. It's worth five minutes of your time to check it out at AthabascaU.ca. Have you thought about if you had one question to ask Trudeau, what it might be? I thought Adler's was an interesting one. Goes right to leadership. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll touch on that. I think is today you'd uh, like to pick his brain on. Yeah, keeping with the theme, I'll ask him what his favorite milk is. <laughs> oh, perfect, perfect. <laughs> that doesn't have a nipple. That that'll that, that'll get the show taken seriously for sure. Did you guys have a good family day weekend? You we feel, did. You feel like you were just, I got to say, when I came in this morning, there was the, the amount of energy oh, that I'm met back, me right in this room. You're yeah. back. You're uh, back on your feet. I'm not going to lie. I, there, there's a there's kind of a cold and a flu going around right now. It's not COVID. I tested a bunch of times. But last week, I was a little under the weather. So I took the weekend to rest and relax and treated it like I was 25 again in the nightclubs when I used to come home at 5 a.m. and sleep till 4 30 p.m. I got I got about one day I almost got to about 10 hours sleep Ryan which, yeah. is, which is that's 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 a landmark for the last two years but yeah I'm 100% now how was yours yeah not too bad at all yeah just relaxed did some mm-hmm. skating got out there it was oh, awesome. beautiful awesome to take some time and actually like do what the stats suggests you should do Exercise. like you know on remembrance day when you you know some of your buddies are like what are you doing for remembrance day like i'm gonna get the drywalling done it's like well you, you know you know like maybe we should just participate in some remembrance it's like on family mm-hmm. day kind of felt like we've got to make sure we spend some time with our family of course uh, i've got a, like a real sort of like a something that annoys me a little bit and, and bush writer pops this into our youtube live chat says pierre poliev has four hundred and one thousand youtube subscribers but who's counting right four hundred and one thousand why would he come on this channel? Uh, what an interesting bit of logic there. Like, why would a politician make themselves available to address an audience uh, and, and, and discuss, you know, issues that impact Canadians in a province that, you know, typically is obviously pretty keen to hear from him? Why would he possibly do that? I hope that our attitudes haven't gotten to that point where it's just clout, where it's like because a politician has built up their own following on social media, they don't participate in, in debate or they don't participate in interviews or they don't 
don't make themselves available to reach people that they might not otherwise reach. They don't, you know, put themselves up for, for an exchange of ideas that could inspire the electorate or get people thinking about political priorities. I hope we've not gotten to that point where we're just counting like who has more YouTube subscribers, because if that's the case, then Trudeau's got the bigger flex on Polyev. I mean, if we're going to start acting like we're on the playground and we're going to start counting like Twitter followers and like who deserves to talk to who, uh, Trudeau's numbers dwarf Polyev's. Now, of course, you could rightfully invoke polling. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. But I would love an opportunity to chat with Pierre Polyev. Some of you are saying, well, maybe he'll do it closer to the election. I hope so. Uh, the door is always open. I mean, if, if this show is anything, uh, it's a show where ideas can be debated and discussed, where you're going to hear from people from across the political spectrum and otherwise, and hear different opinions as you form your own. And we love feedback from people that indicate. And, and don't think that we haven't noticed a whole bunch of new names in the chat, a whole bunch of new names in our email inbox it's yeah, really exciting it. it's encouraging mm -hmm. make sure you tell your friends as well if you if you found this talk show uh, and you found uh, something that that maybe wasn't on your radar before which was an exchange of ideas in a respectful reputable fashion uh, then we'd love if you'd share it with others you can of course subscribe to our youtube channel subscribe hit follow when you find our podcast uh, and when you like and share our content we really appreciate it uh, as we wrap up the first episode of every week we understand for some people you know you're coming back from the long weekend you're kind of feeling like you got a case of the mondays on a tuesday our friends at kubi renewable energy they're all about turning that trend around that's why every week the first episode they give us a chance to say no to negativity to harness positive energy and renew our faith in humanity. It's Kubi Renewable Energy presenting positive reflections, and we absolutely love this story out of the Fort Worth Zoo in Texas. I'm going to tell you the details for those of us on the podcast, but Johnny's got a few photos that are going to blow your mind. So human doctors stepping in to perform a rare emergency C-section on a gorilla, mom, a gorilla. She went into labor five weeks early, and this kind of shows out of this Fort Worth Zoo in Texas. This is Sicani. Sicani is the mama, uh, was showing signs of a pregnancy complication. Uh, it's called preeclampsia, but I don't know anything about it, Johnny. But basically, mm. the, the zookeepers called in a team of gynecologists, like, like the that have human patients, okay? Yeah. They usually spend their time looking after humans to assist with this urgent delivery. And they and they determined as they arrived at the zoo that if it was a human woman in the same condition, if they wanted to save the life of both the infant and the mom, it required an emergency C-section. And so these human doctors working alongside veterinarians, obviously performed this operation five weeks before term. Uh, they said many of them, including Dr. Jamie Walker Irwin, who led the surgery with Dr. Robert Ursprung and Dr. Dennis Okigrosso, none of them had ever worked with primates or apes before. This was a first, but they said that this was easily, I'm getting chills talking about this, the highlight of their careers, like with apologies to all the humans they've helped. Uh, they named <laughs> they, they named this beautiful baby Jamelia, which means beautiful in Swahili. Uh, it didn't hurt that one of the doctor's names was Jamie as well. This is the third gorilla birth in the zoo's 115 year history just the third birth and the first uh to be born via cesarean section unbelievable they say now out of the fort worth zoo that the beautiful baby and mama are repeating uh, are, are basically recovering well um and they say that there, there are some challenges like mama's having a bit of a tough time reconnecting with baby but they say that the outlook is completely positive and they expect this beautiful baby gorilla born in fort worth to live a long 
and happy life. Beautiful. Absolutely love that story. We hope that it brought as much of a smile to your face as it did to ours. If you have a positive reflection, this could be something somebody said to you, a random act of kindness, a pay it forward story. Send it to us. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. You could see it featured in a future episode of Real Talk presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get a free solar quote today at KubiEnergy.ca. As mentioned, we'll be going one-on-one with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. That's tomorrow. That'll be Wednesday, February 21st. Stay tuned to our social media channels for updates on that interview. And thanks for making this episode of Real Talk part of your day. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Randy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.